Good morning, One Church. How are you guys feeling this morning? Christmas is coming. Is anybody excited? Let's sing this together. The world was covered by the night, longing for the light, lost in sin and shame. Sing when God, when God from heaven's throne on high heard our desperate cry and sent his son to save oh lift your eyes to see this wonder with the angels sing sing hope has come oh and hope has come unto us unto us oh online, whatever the case may be, we just want you to know that you are our honored guest. And if this is your first time here today, we just want you to know how happy we are that you've chosen to spend a portion of your very special day with us. 
Um, this morning we're going to do a couple more songs and then Chris is going to come out and finish our Great Links series. So let's keep singing. Sing. 
talent of us raising 236 thank you notes and gift cards for all the fire departments in Clarksville Fire Department. You guys brought in 201 and we were able to finish off the other 35 here with the staff. And I just wanted to celebrate with you guys and kind of show you guys what it looked like as we delivered those this past week. Well, good morning, One Church. Merry Christmas. Isn't that awesome that you got to do that? You got to bless 235 firefighters in our community, and uh, they were excited. Some of them were shocked. They were just uh, a couple of fire stations told us, you know, hey, whatever we can do to serve you, even though we're not the people that will save you in a fire, we still want to come serve you, and so that's what it is all about. Right now there's 235 families, if you, if you think of those firefighters, who know there's a church in this city that is for them because God is for them. And so just give it up one more time for what you did. Thank you for your generosity. That is awesome that what we were able to do. My name is Carl. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm so glad that you are with us. Again, if this is your first time or first time in a long time, welcome. In a few seconds, we're going to take up our morning offering. We're going to pass some buckets from this way to that way, or you can feel free to give by one of the ways that you give on the, that you see on the screen. But just know that when you give, it's stuff like Be Rich that we are giving to. We are helping to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ through what we do through One Church. So thank you so much for your generosity this morning. Let's pray. God, we love we thank you for your power. Thank you that you're able to change lives with our stuff. God, that you're able to do amazing things in spite of us, God, but you do great things with us when we partner with you. So thank you for letting us join with you in this great gift of giving. Be with those here this morning, God, who are suffering, who are dealing with a need financially, God. I pray you would continue to provide for them. And thank you again, God, for the lives that are going to be changed because of what you choose to do through your church in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for giving this morning. You can go ahead and pass the buckets down the row there. And again, thank you for your generosity. Christmas at One Church kicks off today. We are excited that you are here with us, but we want you to know about our Christmas Eve night of worship. We're going to have candle lighting there. There's going to be some great songs. There's going to be an abbreviated type of message throughout the entire night, but it's a time we want to gather together as a church and celebrate one more time, make a big deal about Jesus. So that's going to be at the church offices, 2111 Trenton road. There's a 3 p.m. service and a 5 p.m. service. These will be about an hour long at the most for each. So we want you to come in, enjoy, worship, celebrate, then have the rest of your Christmas Eve to celebrate. So we look forward to seeing you there for that. We also want to inform you about a great next step that's coming up. We've been talking about this 
FPU, Financial Peace University, is coming soon. If you want to be more generous, if you want to give more, if you want to save more, if you want to eliminate the debt that might be holding you down and you have not gone through FPU, you need to take advantage of this great, great course. You can text FPU1C to 97000, FPU1C to 97000 to get the link to sign up for that. Take advantage of that. In a few seconds, Pastor Chris is going to come out and continue our great link series. But first, turn your attentions to the screen for a sneak peek of what's coming next week. Regrets. We all have them. Whether it be something from last week, last year, or decades ago, we long to make things right, to change direction, to begin again. The good news is this. You can start over. You can actually learn to love your regrets. Well, Merry Christmas, OneChurch.tv. What you just saw is our next teaching series that we will be starting next Sunday, December the, December the 30th. It's a five-week teaching series where we're talking about learning from our regrets. And uh, I don't know what 2018 looks like for you. For some of you, it may have been a fantastic year. For others of you, uh, you may have some regrets, uh, maybe in 2018 or back in even all the way back to 1999. I don't know. Uh, but I know this, all of us, because we're human, we make mistakes and we have regrets. And that's what we're going to be learning uh, starting next Sunday as we try to figure out how to learn and get over and move on from our regrets. So, guys, I'm so excited. Today is December the 23rd, and I love Christmas. I just want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas. Um, I, I love the Christmas season. As we talked about last week, we got to look at the Magi, the wise men, and uh, we looked at that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, and we realized that pretty much everything in that song is wrong because we don't know if there were three kings that definitely weren't kings and they weren't from the Orient, but other than that, nailed it, okay? So uh, today, we're going to be looking at the other major player that we kind of skirted around last week uh, that we're going to be digging into, and uh, uh, I'm excited about today's message. But before I dive in, I just want to, guys, I want to warn you guys that I have a very specific agenda today. One of the things that I want to be always crystal clear and upfront with you guys is uh, when I have an agenda, I, and if you have to leave beforehand, you understand what my agenda is. So my agenda is for any of you guys, I just want you to re-engage with your faith this Christmas season. Because I don't know where you're at um, it may be that uh, your Christian faith is like an amazing, big, important part of your life. It may be that there was a time where you felt closer to God than you do now. Uh, it may be if you, there's ever a time years ago, maybe you prayed a prayer, you became a Christian, whatever that means, or you asked uh, to begin a relationship with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, or maybe there was just a time where you used to go to church and uh, for some reason you just dropped out. Uh, it may have been you had a bad church experience, and all of us have had one or ten of those, right? It may be that you moved to a new city, and you just couldn't find a church like your old church that you really, really enjoyed. It may be that uh, you had some conflict or crisis come up in your life, and you cried out to God, and you were like, God, please fix this situation. And for some reason, you felt like he did not fix it. And you look back and you're like, okay, God, if you're not interested in the day-to-day -day details of my life, then I'm not going to be interested in you. 
For others of you, it just may, you know, you went to college and you kind of left all of those, that, that faith behind you. And maybe somebody told you something about the Bible and it kind of shook your faith in God or the Bible or Jesus or whatever this stuff. I don't know what it is, but I do know this, that I've been there. And I know many of you are here, you're there exactly right now. And my challenge for you, my agenda up front is, my goal is that over the next 30 to 35 minutes, I'm going to really challenge you to engage and re-engage with the faith, maybe of your childhood. You know, when you think about Christmas and you see, you know, it seems, I don't know what it is, but when you get older, Christmas sometimes loses its luster. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like another day, you know, whatever it is, I, or I get a day off, but that's it. But, man, you look at Christmas through the eyes of a child, and you see the magic and the wonder there. And that's what I'm going to challenge you to maybe go back and to be able to see your faith through the eyes of a child. I want you to re-engage, and by simply re-engage, I simply mean I want you to take a step towards your Heavenly Father. And I don't know what that looks like for you. For some of you, it just may be, okay, I'm going to start maybe coming to church more regularly. For some of you, it's like, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to start coming to this next series on regret. Great. For others of you, it's like, you know what? I, I've been at one church for a while, and I'm not engaged anywhere. I'm not connected in a community group. I'm not serving anywhere. And let me tell you, if that's where you're at, you're just one bad life circumstance from walking away from your faith. And it may be what re-engaging with your faith looks like is you need to get off, off the bench and you need to start serving somewhere. It may be that for some of you, you need to get up off the bench and you need to get into a community group and quit listening to the excuses that you've said over and over and over and over again. For others of you, re-engaging just might be that as you leave, you take a Bible. We give them away for free. And you say, you know what? I'm going to start reading and I would encourage you to maybe start reading in Matthew or Luke because that's where you're going to find the Christmas story. For others of you, it just may be that you just pray a very simple prayer. God, you haven't heard from me in a long time. And I want to let you know that I'm still around and I'm still searching. For others of you, you, you may owe, I would just say you owe it to yourself to get those questions answered. To some of those things that's been bugging you about your faith. And, and the questions may be about the Bible or Jesus or the church or whatever it looks like for you, that you would take a step towards your heavenly father. Because what we see in the Christmas story is that God has already taken a first and a second and a third and a 14,592 step towards you. And that's where we're going to be looking at today. So would you consider re-engaging with your faith? Because here's what I know about you guys. I know that the reason why you're here is that there's an ember that's still smoldering in your heart and you still feel that pull and that tug and you may feel like it's going out, but it's still there. That glimmer of light, that glimmer of hope. And I would encourage you to re-engage with God this Christmas season. Now, as we dig into that, how we're going to do that is we're going to be looking at a person that I would say I identify most with in this Christmas story. So let me ask you this question. Who do you identify the most with in the Christmas story? Think through that. Who do you identify the most with? Uh, would it be the Virgin Mary? Some of you are like, not today, right? 
Not me, right? Others, you, what about, it, it may have been Joseph, and you're like, yeah, it's probably not Joseph. I don't know enough about him. All right, cool. So uh, is it the shepherds? And you're like, no, I'm allergic to pet dander. Not me, right? Uh, or what about the wise men? And you're like, not at all. I'm not wise and I'm not rich. Okay, I get that, all right? Um, it may be baby Jesus. And you're like, nope, that's not me either. So who do you identify with the most in the Christmas story? And I can tell you the person I identify with most in the Christmas story. And unfortunately... He's kind of the villain of the Christmas story. And I want to talk to you today about the guy we call and the Bible calls King Herod. King Herod. Now, let me tell you a little bit about King Herod, and I'll tell you the reason why I identify with him in just a second. But I believe for most of us, we're going to see that as we go through this message, there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. Now, King Herod was the dummy king of Judea, uh, which meant Rome had made him king. And he was king over Jerusalem and the Jews. And, but the problem is he wasn't Jewish. He was kind of half Jewish, half not. He was Adumean. And this just made the, the, the Jews crazy because they were, didn't really like people who were non-Jewish and especially uh, people who were over them. But King Herod was politically ambitious, he was smart, he was a, a, an amazing architect and builder, and he was very, very politically astute. And as we dig into his story, you and I are going to see uh, how you may be more like King Herod than you want and how I know I definitely am. So let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. So he really tried winning the favor of the Jews by building up their country. And let me just kind of show you some of the things that he built. King Herod, he built this entire aqueduct system. Um, uh, through the Rome and, and through Roman money, this aqueduct system of how they would get water from point A to point B. Um, so he built these aqueducts and it, it, it literally was running water. Uh, it was amazing. Another thing that he built, um, we see that he rebuilt and made big the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, before that time, the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about that last week. But then uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra, they rebuild the temple. And then King Herod shows up, and he rebuilds and makes this temple glorious with ivory and gold and limestone. And he just it, he rebuilt this temple uh, that is not there today. It actually was destroyed in 70 A.D., and we're going to talk about that. Let me tell you also things that he built. He was was a, a, a massive a stone uh, mason. In fact, there are, get this, on the, on the Temple Mount, there are stones today that we don't know how King Herod actually put them into place. They're so large. Uh, you can't even put a credit card in between the stones because it's that well engineered. But he also built a huge fortress real close to Jericho into the Dead Sea called Masada. Masada. And Masada today has a huge uh, um, uh, importance to the Israeli army because Israeli special forces, they go up on Masada, they actually walk up the snake path, and that's where they put the pins on. And if you're an army person in here, you know about that, putting the pins on, right? And there's blood afterwards. This Masada is this massive fortress in the Judean wilderness uh, right next to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth. And here he built this fortress to protect himself from his enemies. He was very paranoid. 
Let me show you another fortress he built, though. This is the fortress Herodium. Now, if you'll see where the, the words are, Herodium is, guess, guess what small town that is right there? That is Bethlehem that we're going to be talking about today. Herodium is in the distance. It's that mountain. It looks like it is just God put it there. But let me show you. Here's another picture of it. This is from the air. It's actually a man-made mountain, and this is this massive, massive structure that he built there that, again, protected him from his enemies. In fact, this one he specifically built because he did not trust his best friend's wife. You know where it's Cleopatra. In fact, let me just share with you uh, my favorite story of Herod. Uh, Herod uh, was, like I said, very politically astute, and he lived around Julius Caesar's time. And Julius Caesar and Brutus, you know, Etu Brute, uh, he was killed. And then the nephew um, of Julius Caesar, his name is Octavius. Uh, Octavius and his uh, friend Mark Antony decided to get together and exact their revenge on the people that killed Julius Caesar. Well, King Herod was best friends with Mark Antony. And uh, Mark Antony had this very popular uh, girlfriend slash wife called Cleopatra, uh, who was, of course, queen of Egypt. And the Romans hated Cleopatra uh, because they were afraid that Mark Antony and Cleopatra were going to hook up and form this political alliance in Egypt and Rome would, and they just did not like her. So eventually, um, uh, the two, uh, Mark Antony and Octavius, they were friends. That Eventually, they become enemies because there can only be one sheriff in town. And there's a civil war, and Mark Antony has about half of the Roman legions. Octavius has the other half, and Octavius pretty much puts down and quells the rebellion very quickly of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And the problem is King Herod, he bet on the wrong horse. He uh, was betting on Mark Antony that he would be the ruler. And Octavius becomes Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. And at this point, King Herod has a huge problem because he has aligned himself with Mark Antony and he is now an enemy of the state. All right. He's like the ace of spade cards, right? So uh, you got three options at this point. King Herod can go ahead and do himself a favor and kill himself. Or uh, he can uh, start, get on the run, but of course they're going to find him because Rome's arms are pretty long. Or uh, he can just lay low and just hope that the Octavius will forget about all of this. Well, <laughs> Herod does not do any of those three. He is so politically astute and ambitious. Here's what he does. He goes to the island of Rhodes, the, the summer island where Octavius, now Caesar Augustus, the emperor, is uh, there. And he goes and he knocks on the front door. And he says, hey, uh, Herod's here. And everybody's like, uh, why are you here? You're the enemy. We're going to take care of you later. But they let him in. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, Caesar Augustus hears that his enemy, Herod, is in here. And he's like, okay, well, this is two birds with one stone, right? I ain't got to go all the way to Jerusalem. But King Herod says, listen, before you kill me, let me tell you something. And he tells this wonderful story and gives a speech. And this speech ends up not only saving his life, Herod gets promoted. Here's what he says. He says, all right, oh, great Caesar, 
You know how I was loyal friends with Mark Antony, and I was there when he rose to power. I was there in the middle of the Civil War, and I even remained his loyal friend when you defeated him. And the one thing you should know about me is I, well, I am always loyal to whoever I pledge my loyalty to. And today, O Emperor Julius Caesar Augustus Octavius, I am pledging you my loyalty. And it won uh, the emperor over, Octavius, Caesar Augustus. So, and not only does he not get killed, he gets promoted and he gives him now Samaria and Jericho and Gaza with him. So that's King Herod. He's super, super bright guy, very politically astute, extremely ambitious. But the thing that got him into trouble was that he was so committed to his own control his own control, and so committed to his own legacy that he just made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Let me tell you about some of those. Uh, he changed his will four times. He was paranoid. Have I told you about that? You saw in the two fortresses that he built. He had 10 wives, and he had a bunch of sons, and every few years he would decide, oh, no, no, you're not the right son to be king. He would change his will, and then he, then he would kill his son. In fact, it was said, uh, the Jews had this kind of motto, it's better to be uh, uh, Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. And it's kind of a play on words. Huios is the word for son in the Greek, and pig sounded very similar to huios. And of course, because he was half Jew, he wouldn't kill the pig. But I'm telling you, he would kill the son. Now, today, you know, it's Christmas time. We're going to have us some bacon and some ham. So that pig wouldn't be safe here, would it? Nay, nay, not today, all right? But, I mean, his son would be killed, and eventually the son was like, you know what? I don't even want to be king, right? I, I just want to live, right? Uh, he was crazy paranoid. He was so committed to controlling his kingdom and growing his kingdom, he wanted to leave this legacy. He wanted to be remembered forever and ever and ever so that there was somebody related to him on the throne. And he killed his wives. He murdered so many rabbis in Jerusalem, that in Judea, that the rabbis didn't even want to come to Jerusalem anymore, even though that's where the temple was at. He would do anything to maintain, maintain control. Does that sound familiar? Because it does to me. You see, I want to be in control. I want to build my kingdom. I want to do the things that benefits me and my business. Maybe you're the same way. And you will do anything and everything to make sure that you come out on top. Now, but when we get to this biblical narrative that we're getting ready to read today about the birth of Jesus, King Herod now is 70 years old. He has a kidney disease, a very painful kidney disease, and he's very sick. And he's trying to consolidate his power. He's trying to ensure that the next generation will remember the name King Herod. And then he gets the most, un, the most disturbing, unimaginable news ever. That just five miles south of him, five miles south of Jerusalem, there's a new king in town. And this new king is learning to walk. And here's how Matthew introduces the story. This is Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And if we give away Bibles here, you can get on the Bible app or you can see it on the screen. After Jesus was born in Judea, during the time of who? King Herod. 
Magi from the east, we talked about them last week, came to Jerusalem and asked. Now imagine how this landed. They've been wandering around Jerusalem asking this question. Hey, where's the king of the Jews? And everybody's like, shh. The king of the Jews is Herod. He's up there. He's going to hear you. He's going to kill you, right? I mean, and we're here to worship the king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east, and we have come to do what? Worship him. Now listen to this. When King Herod heard this, he was what? Disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, why was all of Jerusalem disturbed? Because King Herod was disturbed. And when King Herod got disturbed, people died. It was that simple. Now, just to give you a little background while the whole city was disturbed, let me just tell you a little bit about King Herod. But right before his death, he knew he was going to die. He gathered up all of the rich people in the city, all of the movers and the shekers, and he put them into jail. And here's what he said. He says, on the minute of my death, you're to execute all of them because I want everybody in Jerusalem mourning and crying when I die. And he knew that as soon as he died, everybody would be having a party. Now, uh, praise God, once he dies, they actually let those people go because he was crazy. But that is King Herod. He is disturbed and everybody else with him. He's trying to protect his legacy. He's trying to protect his future. He's manipulating things. He is trying to control his destiny. <laughs> That's King Herod. Next verse. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers and the law, King Herod says this. Now, you've got to imagine this because when you're called in front of King Herod, that's not a good thing, right? He's got a short temper. He's in a lot of pain, right? He's an old. Anybody know old people are a little crotchety? I, I always told my wife, if I get old and I get crotchety, somebody needs to shoot me, okay? So anyway, so they, I mean, he's old, he's crotchety, he's in pain. And even when he wasn't old and crotchety, he was a little bit of a crazy dude, right? And he asked this question, where is the Messiah was to be born? And the chief priests, the Jews said this, well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Isn't it amazing that the Jews knew all about where Jesus was going to be born, but nobody was looking? I wonder if that's kind of how it is today. We, everybody knows a lot about Jesus, but nobody's really looking because we're too happy. We're too, things are going good. I don't know. Keep on going. So this is like the worst news imaginable. Herod has some competition. Next verse. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Psst. Psst. Come here. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said this, go and make careful search for the child. By the way, he doesn't say baby here. It's the word toddler he uses. Why? Because it took the wise men a year to two years to travel from Babylon, 900 miles away, to Jerusalem, right? So they are now there, and Jesus is probably, he could be around two years old. By the way, you don't see that in the manger scenes, do you? You have the little drummer boy, right? And you got Santa over here, I don't know. Anyway, all right. Uh, he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Bum, bum, bum. 
And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had sent, they had seen in the east, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child, not baby, child was. When they saw the star, when they saw his star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down. And what did they do? Worship him. Now, we use that word worship today, and we think of singing. We think of what we just did with Kim and Riley, and we make it synonymous with singing. But, it, but it's not singing. It can be. Worship is recognizing that you are in the presence of someone bigger and better than you are. Someone who should cause you to have awe. And essentially, what you're saying is, I surrender to you. That it's no longer my wants and my desires, and I'm not going to build my kingdom, and I'm going to submit myself to you. It's basically saying, listen, here's the blank check. You can do with it whatever you want with my life. So these very wealthy men that we looked at last week who had traveled a very long way, they come and they drop to their knees and they worship him. And just five miles away, Herod is worried to death. Have you seen the guys? Has anybody seen these guys? Does anybody know where they're at? Why? Because he's trying to control everything. His whole life is built around preserve, protect, control. Preserve, protect, control. Preserve, protect, control. So here is Herod with his fist clenched, racked with pain, and he's not about to bend his knee to anyone. He's not about to worship anyone or anything. And that's why I say today that there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. In fact, that's our big idea today is we all want to be in charge of our own destiny. We do. All of us want to be in charge of our own destiny. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, right? That's the reason why your first marriage failed, right? You didn't, want, you didn't want a woman telling you what to do. You didn't want a man telling you what to do. Or when an authority figure comes and says something to you, you buck up, right? Because you want to be in control of you and your destiny because there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We want to protect what's ours and our legacy. We want to be in charge and preserve what's ours. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We all want complete control. You see, all of us, we want to be our own king. We want to be the main character of our story. And here's the problem. If you are the main character of your own story, you are part of the problem. Because we're not made to be the main character. Jesus is meant to be the main character. Let me give you a, a quick poem that really does sum up Herod's spirit and maybe mine and your spirit this morning. It's by Ernest Hensley, and it's called Invictus. The word Invictus means unconquerable or undefeated. And we kind of see that as a good thing, but in this poem, I'm just going to let you up front. It's a very negative, very bad thing. Let's see ourselves and let's look at our defiance. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be, for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not cried aloud. Listen to this. Under the beatings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. 
It matters not how straight the gate. I am the master of my fate. I am the what? Captain of my soul. I see this on people's bumper stickers, this last part. I see, I see memes, and they make it say like, I am the one in control, and that's the problem. You and I cannot control nothing. Uh, you, let me show it to you. Here's the thing. C can you control your next breath? Can you guarantee that there will be a next breath? L control the stock market, right? Control the government, dear Lord right? I, I mean, it is just everything is up in the air. You control nothing. But we want to maintain control. We have that defiance in our heart. And it's just like King Herod, that we want to be the main character in our story. We want to be the hero. We want to control the outcomes to be large and in charge. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. You see, that is why I identify most with the villain in this story, King Herod. Because I don't mind leveraging God if God is going to help me get where I want to go. As long as God helps me build my kingdom, builds my portfolio, builds my 501k. And yeah, I don't mind going to church and even read the Bible and saying a prayer of all of those things will get me what I want they will help facilitate my future, then I'm, on, I'm all for it. I'm all in. But the whole idea of writing God or writing anyone a blank check with my life, the whole idea of bending my knee and worshiping, of surrendering, surrendering, of submitting to, of saying the answer is yes. Now, what's the question, God? You see, I'm usually not down for that because I identify a lot with Herod. And my gut, my hunch is you do too. It's the reason why you're here. Yeah, I'll go to church. We'll do it. If it helps me get where I want to go, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. You can't serve God's kingdom while building yours. Verse 12, And then, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for who? Herod is going to search for the child and try to kill him. So he got up, took the child and mother, and during the night he left for Egypt. Can you, you can kind of hear the soundtrack here kind of change, building up. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, verse 16 says. And when Herod was furious, people suffered. And when Herod was furious, people died because he had spent his whole life, listen to me, guys, men, he had spent his whole life controlling the outcomes. No matter what happened, he had to figure out how to manipulate and control the outcome. Even when he had bet on the wrong horse with Rome, Mark Antony, he figured a way out. He was bold enough and crafty enough and smart enough to figure even how to control that outcome. He was the master of controlling outcomes. He was the master of his fate, the captain of his soul, and it didn't end very well for him. Yet he had been outsmarted by a baby, a toddler, and a couple of Jewish parents just five miles south of him. 
But he had decided that no matter what happened, he would not be thwarted. He had certainly would not be thwarted by a couple of Jewish kids and a toddler. So he did the most unimaginable thing that could ever be thought of. He issued a decree that all the babies and two years old and under, that the children would be killed. Look at this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave the orders to kill all of the boys. If you're not going to bring me that one, if you're not going to bring the one identified as the king, then I'm just going to go for the nuclear option. I'm going to kill everybody. All the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And guess what? They did that. One horrible morning or one horrible afternoon, his soldiers rolled into the tiny town of Bethlehem and they went into every single house and every single hut and all of the surrounding areas, every farmhouse, and they pulled out every little boy that looked two years old or under and they murdered that child in front of their family. And Mary lived with the knowledge of that her entire life. Can you imagine that? But here's what happened. Soon after, by the way, can you throw up that picture of Herodium again? The very first one? Imagine, I want you to imagine he is in his fortress looking down on Bethlehem. He's there at the Herodium. Here it is. And he's issuing this order. He says, I want you to wipe everybody out. He gets to the point where Herod gets, it gets so painful, that kidney disease, that he tries to kill himself. And back then, it was very difficult to kill yourself. It was very painful. You know, there wasn't any like, you know, big things that you can end your life with like we have today. And one of his cousins came in as he was trying to kill himself and saved him, and he couldn't even do that. But just before Herod died, as I'd mentioned earlier, he rounded up all of the rich people and was going to have them all executed when he died. Of course, that got thwarted. But look at verse 19 and 20. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said this, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And here is where Herod's story ends. And in this little twist of history, Herod, who was known as Herod the Great, Herod, the king of Judea, Herod, the builder, Herod, the ingenious politician, Herod, who built Masada, Herod, who built the aqueducts, Herod, who, uh, who re-renovated the temple of Jerusalem, Herod, who built Herodium. Here, in this twist of fate, Herod the Great becomes a footnote to the story of Jesus, the toddler. Can you imagine having to explain that to him in the last few hours right before he dies? Hey, by the way, just to let you know, Herod, you have spent your entire life manipulating, controlling, so much ambition. You're an afterthought. People, thousands of people are going to utter your name once a year, but it won't be because you're great. It won't be because that you were all that. Everybody, no one's going to remember you as Herod the Builder. Everybody going to, is going to remember you as Herod the Butcher. And all the things that you tried to do in manipulating control to control your destiny, and you were, your head was unbowed. You would not bend your knee to every, anyone and everyone. You are a footnote to his 
story, history. And every time they read his story, they're going to read about you and they're going to chuckle and they're going to go, what an idiot. He missed it. He was five miles away from the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he missed him. He missed him. 30 years later, Herod is dead. He's long gone. 30 years later, now Jesus is starting his ministry. And he, he, he has three and a half years of ministry. He does miracles. Eventually, he dies on a cross. He's buried. Three days later, he rose again, and he ascends to heaven. And then 80 years later, one of Jesus' best friends, John, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he sits down, and he decides to write a biography of Jesus. And everybody else had finished their biographies, Matthew and John, Mark, and Luke. But here's where John, he sits down and he writes this in John chapter 1. In him, meaning this baby of Bethlehem who grew up to be a man who was his friend, in him was life. And that was the light of all mankind. Not just to the Jews, but to everybody. You see, up to that point, John was like, yeah, Jesus was just kind of for the Jews. He was just kind of for the churched people. And God had kind of blown all of his categories as we looked at last week. And we see that Jesus is the savior of the world, that for God so loved the world, that he is for everyone. People who go to church, yes, but for people who don't go to church, he loves them just as much. He, he, will, he will go out of his way to bring light just as much to them because he is for everyone. I love that. And then he pauses and he moves from the past tense to the present tense. And look at what he says. He says, the, this light shines in the darkness. John has been exiled to Patmos. It looks like the Romans have won. It looks like the ancient Jewish temple, it's already been destroyed. Judaism has been put out of business. That temple that Herod built, it is leveled. It is a parking lot. He feels like the enemies are going to win, but he says this, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not swallowed it up. The darkness has not blown it out. And that brings us to you and to me. What will your story be? What will your story be in relation to the light of the world? What would it look like? Will it be resistance like Herod? Will it be where you're trying to manipulate and control and you're not going to bow your life to anyone? Nobody's going to tell you what to do? Or is it going to be like the Magi? Are you going to worship? Are you going to worship? I don't know where you're at in all of this. I don't know if church is your thing or not. And if it's not, I want to say you are in a great place because we have created this environment of church for people who don't go to church. A church for people who may, you know what, you don't have all the answers and you don't speak all the Christianese and all the, all the insider language. You don't. But here's what I want you to hear is you can be so close. Some of you, you're here. I mean, you're, I mean, you're like, you're, it's just, he, just like Herod, he's five miles away. If you're not careful, you're going to miss him. We're getting ready to sing a song. It's actually a pretty old song. 
Um, uh, it, but it's a song that I kind of was singing 15 years ago, believe it or not. Some of you, this may be your first time ever hearing it. But this song, I really want you to kind of dig into this because it says light of the world. That's what we're talking about here, that he is the light of the world. And in there, it talks about him, that we are called to worship. We are called to bow down. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. You need, this Christmas season, you just need to bow your knee and you need to take a step towards your Heavenly Father. And I want you to do that. I want you to do whatever you need to do. If you want to stay seated, you can. If you want to stand up, you can. If you want to bow your knee, whatever that looks like for you. It's dark in here, so nobody's looking at you. But I just want you to spend some time with your Heavenly Father and know that He, the reason why we celebrate this season is He's taking a step towards you. For some of you, you need to take, take a step towards Him today. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. So here.
to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're together worthy all together worthy all together wonderful to me and here I am to worship here I am to bow down here I am to say that you are my God you're all together lovely all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. We love you guys so much. Merry Christmas. Go be the church.
Good morning, One Church. How are you feeling this morning? Are you guys awake? Why don't we stand up? We're going to worship together. Merry Christmas. So glad that you're here with us. Let's sing this together. The world was covered. The world was covered by the night. Longing for the light. Lost in sin and shame. When God from heaven's throne on high. He heard our desperate cry and sent His Son to save. Oh, lift your eyes see this wonder with the angels sing. Hope has come. And hope has come unto us, unto us. playing loud and hear the joyful sound of heaven's melody a savior for the weary soul it makes the broken whole and it sets the captives free you to feel at home with us. Chris is going to come out in just a little bit and bring our message, but right now we're going to continue worshiping, and we hope you'll join along with us. 
keep on singing. You want to keep on? Woo!
be rich. See, I don't know if you remember, but I gave the challenge of us raising 236 thank you notes and gift cards for all the firefighters in Clarksville Fire Department. You guys brought in 201, and we were able to finish off the other 35 here with the staff. And I just wanted to celebrate with you guys and kind of show you guys what it looked like as we delivered those this past week. church what's up merry christmas isn't that awesome that's what you got to do for the city of clarksville right now there are 235 236 families represented by those firefighters that now know there is a church in the city that is for them because god is for them and that doesn't happen without you your generosity we just got to be the people who had the time to go by and drop those things off but please know we did that on behalf of you on behalf of onechurch.tv so thank you so much for your generosity give it up one more time for what you were able to do i'm so it's so awesome that we're able to bless our city my name is carlo i get to be one of the teaching pastors here and i'm glad that you are here again merry christmas christmas at one church starts today and we're so excited about that if this is your first time or first time in a long time welcome we're glad that you're here in a few seconds we're going to continue to worship through giving our morning offering we're going to pass buckets from this way to that way or you can give one of the many ways you see there on the screen thank you so much for your generosity let's pray god thank you so much for helping us uh to love others god with our stuff you take this this money and the possessions we have god you do amazing things all over the world with it thank you for letting us be a small part of that so i pray for everyone giving today that you would continue to provide for them meet their needs help those who are giving sacrificially today to learn to trust in you more and more. But more than that, God, we thank you for the new lives, the new people who are going to come to know Jesus because of our faithfulness and our generosity. We thank you for it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for giving. You can go ahead and pass those buckets down as we continue on this morning. We want you to know that we are glad you are here for our We're Calling Christmas at One Church with today's message. But tomorrow, Christmas Eve at the One Church offices, 2111 Trenton Road, will be our Christmas Eve service. We want you to be there. We're going to have a service at 3 p.m., service at 5 p.m. These are going to be to-the-point services. We're going to worship. We're going to light some candles. We're going to make a big deal about Jesus as we celebrate his story. There'll be a little abbreviated message throughout the the, 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 the time that we're going to be there, but we want you to be there. So bring someone with you. Show up 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock tomorrow, 2111 Trenton Road for our Christmas Eve night of worship. I can't wait. It's going to be a great, great evening. A next step we want you to know about is Financial Peace University. We're kicking that off uh, in the beginning of next year. This is a great tool for those of you who want to give more, who want to save more, who want to be more generous, or you just want to be set free from the, the, the burden of debt and all the junk that comes along with that, as we talked about in our All About the Benjamin series. Anyway, you can text FPU1C to 97000. Text FPU1C to 97000. We'll send you the link to sign up to register for this. This is one of the best groups we have, one of the best teachings we give here 
here, and we want to make that available to you. In a few seconds, Pastor Chris is going to come out and continue our great length series, but first we want you to turn your attention to the screens for a preview of what's coming up next week. Welcome to One Church. Regrets. We all have them. Whether it be something from last week, last year, or decades ago, we long to make things right, to change direction, to begin again. The good news is this, you can start over. You can actually learn to love your regrets. Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. Merry Christmas to everybody in the room, not in the room, online, offline, podcast, all of that stuff. We're so glad to have you here. I, I love this time of year. I cannot believe that tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Oh, my gosh. Right? How many of y'all are excited? How many of y'all, you've got kids that remind you about every 30 seconds? Right? I'm telling you, there's just something about Christmas, especially through the eyes of a child. Um, I just I absolutely love it. So anyway, uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'll tell you, last week we looked um, at uh, a group of guys we call the wise men. And what's so funny about the wise men, you know, we sing about the wise men, we three kings of Orient are, and we looked at last week, that uh, pretty much every bit of that song is wrong. Uh, so they weren't, we don't know if there were three of them. Um, we don't, we know that they weren't kings, they were magi, they were wise men, and we know that they weren't from the Orient. But other than that, nailed it. So, um, so, but today we are going to be looking at another person that we've kind of hinted around in the Christmas story. We looked at last week just briefly, but we're going to be digging into the Christmas story big today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter two. So before we get there, I just want to kind of let you guys know that I have an agenda today. Uh, one of the things I always try, I want to be upfront and honest with you guys and my agenda today, I want to be crystal clear, especially if you have to leave early. My agenda is I want you this Christmas season to re-engage with your faith. For some of you, as Carlos says, this is your first time ever at One Church, and we're so glad that you're here. One of the things that we do at One Church is we want to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. Uh, and for others of you, maybe this is your first time in a long time, and kind of church is not a normal pattern and rhythm in your life. And if there's ever been a time that you can look back in your past where you were closer to God than you are now, then I'm going to say this message is for you. If there's ever been a time in your life where you've like, you prayed a prayer or you became a Christian, whatever that means, or you entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, uh, maybe you walked down an aisle, uh, however they did it, the church you grew up, I don't know. But if there ever was a time that you, that happened and then for somehow, some way, you kind of drifted. Maybe you walked away from faith deliberately, or maybe you walked away accidentally. I don't know. It happens to all of us. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. Uh, maybe uh, you, uh, something happened, and there was a church hurt, and all of us have one or ten of those, right? Uh, and, or maybe you moved to a different city, and you just couldn't find the church like your last church. And we prayed with a couple today who's, I mean, heavily involved at OneChurch.tv, and they're getting ready to move away. And one of our staff said, listen, there's never going to be another one church like this. And that's kind of a good or a bad thing, however you look at it. But my point is, you kind of move away and you kind of looked at what you're familiar with and you don't really ever find it. 
Maybe some of you, uh, you kind of grew up going to church and, uh, you know, you kind of, somebody harped on the Bible says this, the Bible says this, and then you went to college or somebody kind of blew holes in your faith and maybe the Bible doesn't say this or somebody showed you that somehow there's contradictions or whatever that is. I don't know that. Wherever you lie in that, I just want to let you know that today, my challenge, my agenda, I just want to show you my hand and simply say, I'm going to challenge you to re-engage with your faith this Christmas season. Think of it this way. Just as I mentioned, we all love Christmas, especially through the eyes of a child, right? I I know this, that the older we kind of grow up, the less Christmas kind of means sometimes to us, right? How many of y'all, you know that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is just another Monday and Tuesday, right? And it's easy to get in that cynical, jaded view, and it's not really that big of a deal. But what I want us to do this Christmas season is let's look at it through the eyes of a child. Because I remember when I was four, five, six, seven years old, Christmas was magical. And there was the presents and there was the trees and there was all of that. But I remember the very first time where I was, where I was at, when I realized that God became a baby. And he did that for me. And that's where I want to challenge you to re-engage with your faith this Christmas season. Because all of us, whether you've been in church a long time or maybe you kind of bounced out, here's what I know about you. There's this ember inside of you. There's this light inside of you that has failed to gone out yet. It is still there and it's still glowing. And you kind of have self-conversations with yourself like, I know I should go back to church, but I'm too busy or this and that. Or, or maybe it's just kind of an afterthought. You know, your life is really, really good. But when your life really, really goes off the rails, that's when we kind of need God. And I get that. And here's what I want you to know. I don't know whatever your situation or however it worked out. I'm not here to judge you uh, because I'm sure you walking away or whatever meant perfectly good sense to you, made perfectly good sense to you because it it just did. And if I was in your shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. But what I want to simply say is take a step towards your Heavenly Father today. And over the next 35 minutes, I want to talk to you about how you can do that and challenge you by making us look at the characters of this Christmas story. So here's my question that I want to kind of launch this out with. What, who do you identify most with in the Christmas story? Who do you identify most with in this Christmas story? And some of you are like, I'm the little drummer boy. All right, bad news, he's not in the Bible, okay? So what about, you know, the... The round John Virgin, right? So, and that's round John Virgin. Okay. Anyway, my point is he's not in there either. It's crazy how all of these weird things kind of creep into the Christmas story, right? And, you know, there's the donkey and there's the long-eared nester and what I don't know, right? But let's look at these Christmas characters and who do you identify with? Is it the Virgin Mary? And you're like, not today. Right? I don't, I don't identify with the Virgin Mary today. All right? Okay. Well, what about Joseph? And you're like, I really don't know that much about him. So I, I don't really connect with Joseph. Cool. All right. Uh, and you're like, well, is it the shepherds? And you're like, I'm allergic to pet dander. Okay. So not the shepherds, right? Angels, <laughs> I don't have that angelic voice. So that's a no. All right. Uh, what about um, baby Jesus? And you're like, no. I want to share with you the person that I probably connect with most and identify with most in the Christmas story, and you probably too. And unfortunately, he is the villain of the Christmas story. 
And his name is King Herod. King Herod. You see, one of the things we looked at last week, we looked at the wise men, but as the wise men are worshiping, King Herod is planning and manipulating and protecting and kind of doing his own thing. And unfortunately, as I'm going to be sharing with you today, I have that tendency to do that. And I bet if you were really honest with yourself this morning, you would say you have as well. Let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. King Herod um, wasn't even a Jew. Uh, he was an Adumean. He was kind of a mixed uh, race. And uh, uh, the Jews hated him because he wasn't pure Jewish. And, but he was an astute politician. He was a fantastic architect, engineer, and builder. Um, he was ambitious. He was, like I said, politically astute um, and very talented, very smart. And I'll tell you, when you go and you look in Israel today, his thumbprint is over everything because he has literally created mountains and fortresses. And these are some of the things that I want to share with you today. Here is some things that King Herod the Builder, he built. First, he built an aqueduct system. And uh, this aqueduct system with Rome's help actually gave them running water. Uh, it's so crazy. You know, we just got running water here in Tennessee about a couple years ago, right? Apparently, 2,000 years ago, they had it there in Jerusalem, and it's all because of Herod. He built this intricate aqueduct system, all right? He also, he renovated uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem. And in 586 BC, the original Solomon's temple was destroyed. We looked at that last week. And then Zerubbabel and Ezra rebuilt the temple, and it was just kind of a shadow of its former glory days. But Herod comes up, and, and he renovates it and makes it absolutely gorgeous. You can go today, and you can see the temple mount today. The temple's destroyed, but the temple mount that Herod built is still there. The stones are still there. In fact, there are stones there that we don't know how he put in place. They are so integrally woven in and they're so heavy, we don't have machinery today that could lift it. And we don't know how he did it 2,000 years ago. And you can't even take your credit card and slide it in between the seams of the rocks. It's that well done. Let me tell you some other things that Herod built. He built a, a fortress called Masada uh, out in the middle of the Judean wilderness, right next to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. And this Masada, this fortress, is this huge mountain that even today it, it, it means a lot to Israel and Israeli soldiers because Israeli special forces, they will go up and they will get pinned up on Masada because it's around 72 AD, um, the Jews pretty much fought off the Romans. And here's another picture of Masada uh, from the air. It's just, it's gorgeous. And Herod built this. And he built this because he was a little paranoid. And I'm going to tell you who he was paranoid of here in a second. Here's another picture of a fortress that he built. This is called Herodium. Now, where is it at? It's over here on the right. It's that mountain to the right. That's actually not a mountain. That, that's a fortress. That's, a, that's something that he created. And by the way, where it says Herodium, the words down here, that's the little village of Bethlehem that we're going to be looking at today. Here's another picture of Herodium from the air, and you will see that it's this fortress that Herod built and named it after himself. 
You see, Herod was paranoid. He was an architect. He was astute. He was kind of a master manipulator. And uh, he pretty much uh, tried uh, making sure all of the outcomes went his way. And that's the reason I say there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. So you, and let me kind of give you a quick uh, story. You remember Julius Caesar et tu Brute, and he was killed, right? Well, uh, there, his nephew, Caesar's uh, nephew, Octavius, comes in, and he wants to pretty much avenge the death of his uncle. So him and his friend Mark Antony, they get together, and they go on this rampage to avenge Julius Caesar's death. Well, Octavius and Mark Antony start getting uh, like more powerful, more powerful, and eventually there's only going to be two, one sheriff in town. So they have this schism, the civil war breaks out, and Mark Antony has legionnaires, and Octavius has legionnaires, and they're kind of fighting to see who is going to be leader of Rome. Well, here's the thing. King Herod was best friends with Mark Antony. He bet on the wrong horse because Mark Antony, by the way, his girlfriend and wife, you probably heard of her, Cleopatra. You see, King Herod was so paranoid that he built Masada, that fortress we saw, because of Cleopatra. He, he didn't trust Cleopatra. And none of the Romans liked Cleopatra because Cleopatra and Mark Antony, if they got Egypt and Rome together, they would be unstoppable. But eventually, Octavius, he squells and he puts down the civil war and Mark Antony is defeated. And Herod now has realized he's backed the wrong person. So uh, Octavius, he becomes Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. And Herod, he has a problem on his hands because he has made an enemy of the person who pretty much is the ruler of the earth. So he has three options. He can either go ahead and kill himself or he can kind of run and, and hope that Rome won't find him, which Rome will, or he can just lay low and pretend like none of this happened and kind of put his head in the sand. He chose none of those options. He was so bright and politically astute, King Herod the Great decides to go to the summer palace of Caesar Augustus. And he goes to the island of Rhodes and he knocks on the front door. And, and everybody's looking at him like, uh, you're our enemy. We need to kill you. So they let him in. I'm here to see uh, the emperor, Caesar Augustus. I'm like, well, I'm sure he's going to be glad to see you. Right? So he goes in, and here's what King Herod does. He gives a speech in front of Caesar Augustus, his known enemy. He says this, you know how I was friends with Mark Antony, and I was very loyal to him at the very beginning. I was loyal to him during the Civil War when you guys fought, and I was even loyal to him to the end. And here's what, I'm here's what you should know about me. I'm loyal. And here I now pledge my loyalty to you and to Rome. And for somehow... Not only was he not killed, but let me tell you what Caesar Augustus did. Caesar Augustus was so amazed and impressed with Herod the Great. Not only did he not take the kingdom of Judah away from him, not only did he not take his life, he gave him Samaria, Jericho, and Gaza as well and sent him home. You see, that's King Herod. Super, super bright, politically astute, extremely ambitious, but the thing that got him into trouble was that he was so committed to his own control and so committed to his own legacy that he just made one bad decision after another. Let me tell you a few of them. Um, he uh, changed his will four times because he was paranoid, 
right? He had 10 wives and uh, he would change his will and he would make one of his uh, sons the ruler after him whenever he dies. But then he would get paranoid against the son and he would eventually kill his son. And then he would change the will again. End up doing that four times. Eventually, none of the sons wanted to ever be king. It's like, I, I want to live, right? In fact, they had this saying in Jerusalem, it's better to be uh, Herod's pig than Herod's son because Herod's not going to kill the pig since he's half Jew, but he would kill his huios, his son. That's son in Greek. So he wanted to maintain control. He wanted to manipulate and to control his legacy. And honestly, that's kind of how I am. I want people to think good of me. I want people to think of, you know, when they think of Chris, they think a certain thing, and I will do anything and everything, and I'm sure show will you, to be able to get your business off the ground, to keep your reputation straight, to keep your marriage, and you will do whatever it takes as long as you are in control. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Now, when we get into the biblical narrative about the birth of Jesus, King Herod is now an old man. He's 70 years old. He, he is very sick. He has a painful kidney disease, and it's extremely painful, and he's trying to consolidate his power. He's, in, he's trying to ensure that the next generation carries on his legacy. And then he gets the most disturbing news imaginable. Just five miles south of him, in this little town called Bethlehem, there is a new king in town. And this new king is just now learning to walk. And it's Jesus. He's a toddler. This is what Matthew says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of who? King Herod. Magi from the east, we talked about them last week, uh, came to Jerusalem and asked. Now imagine how this landed. They come to Jerusalem and here's what they ask. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? And everybody's like, shh, we already got a king here. What are you talking about? Are you trying to upset King Herod the Great? I mean, think about this. And then they say, we saw his star in the east and we have come to do what? Worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was what? Why was he disturbed? Because he's the king. And get this, when King Herod gets disturbed, everybody gets disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So that, I mean, King Herod was dangerous. He was dangerous when he was younger, but now he's an old man. He's a little crotchety. Anybody know any crotchety old people? All right. I already told my wife, if I get crotchety, shoot me. All right, so just go ahead and put me out of my misery. So he's crotchety, he's old, he's always in this continual pain, and suddenly, and suddenly his legacy, his future is in jeopardy. And he's like a cornered animal. He will do anything and everything to protect what's his. The story continues. When, he, when Herod had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and you got to be scared a little bit when Herod's calling you, Right, Because he had killed so many rabbis up to this point, nobody even wanted to serve in Jerusalem in the temple. He calls them together and he says, this, asks them this question, where was the Messiah to be born? They answer, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will, become, will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Isn't it amazing how the Jews, they knew the scripture about where Jesus was born. They just weren't looking for him. It's kind of how you and I are today. 
See, some of you, you're here, and maybe church isn't your thing, and I'm so glad that you're here. Others of you, you know, church is kind of your thing twice a year. And I get that. No judgment. I get that. But we just don't look because we're too preoccupied. And this is like the worst news imaginable that king, to King Herod because there is another king in town. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Psst, come here. And found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the who. Notice it doesn't say baby. You see in our manger scenes, we have the three wise men and a baby. No, no, no. Remember, it was they lived 900 miles away. It took them a year to two years to even get to Jerusalem. So the word here is actually toddler. He's a child. He's probably learning to walk. As soon as you find him, Herod says, report to me so that I too may worship him. Yeah, right. After they had heard from the king, they went their own way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the, not the baby, the child was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and what did they do? They worshipped him. Now, this word worship, we kind of think of worship day as synonymous with singing. And it can be singing, but worship is so much bigger than that. Worship is recognizing who you are in the presence of someone else who's greater than you are. It's to have this sense of this awe. And essentially doing whatever you need to do to surrender yourself and to submit yourself to the person of greater honor. So we looked at these wealthy wise men last week who traveled the 900 miles to get there, maybe a couple of years, and they dropped to their knees and they worshiped the child. And just five miles away, King Herod the Great is willing not to worship anybody but himself. He's not willing to bend his knee to anyone. He's not willing to give, submit, or surrender his life to anyone because he's in charge. He is willing to manipulate. He is willing to do anything and everything to protect, control, and preserve. To protect, control, and preserve. Herod, with his fist clenched, is trying to make it all about him. He's Herod the Great. And it's bad. You know you're a narcissist when you name yourself Herod the Great, right? Some of you know some people like that, right? But here's the thing. It's our big idea today. We're just like Herod. We all want to be in charge of our destiny. You do. And there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. That's what went wrong with your first marriage, isn't it? Come on. You didn't want a man telling you what to do. You didn't want a woman telling you what to do. You don't want somebody from authority telling you what to do. We want to protect what's yours and our legacy because there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We want to preserve what's ours and our rights. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control, complete control. Why? Because there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. You see, all of us want to be our own king. We want to be the hero and the main character of our own story. The problem is we're never meant and called to be the hero and the main character. We're kind of like extras in a movie. 
None of us are Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm looking at you right now. Nay, nay. Okay? We're not. We're extras in his story, history. We're extras to Jesus. But Herod the Great's like, no. You ever seen somebody trying to upstage somebody else? That's Herod the Great. In fact, his life is really kind of centered around a poem that you probably heard by Ernest Hensley, and it's called Invictus. The word Invictus means unconquerable or undefeated. And many times when we hear some of these words, we think of it as a positive way. But honestly, it's not a positive thing because we're all preoccupied building our kingdom. And we can't be a part of God's kingdom if we're only looking at ours. Listen to the defiance in this poem. It says this, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be, why? For my unconquerable soul. Nobody can conquer me. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not cried aloud. Under the beatings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. I'm not going to bow to anyone. And the matters, it matters not how straight the gate, because I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. See, you've heard that last line. I've seen it on memes. I've seen it on bumper stickers. And we think of it as a positive thing. And I'm telling you, it is not. Because you are not meant to be the hero. You are not meant to be the main character. Do you hear the defiance in Ernest Ainsley's words? Just like King Herod, we want to control all of the outcomes and we want to be large and in charge. We want to say, it's about my will, not thy will. It's about us. You see, and honestly, some of you, you may be here and you don't mind showing up to church ever so often if you can manipulate God and leverage it for your own will. I don't mind coming to church and I've been there. I don't mind praying to God. I don't mind reading the Bible. I don't mind doing that as long as it helps me do what I want to do because there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. The story continues, but realize this. You cannot serve God's kingdom while building yours. And that may be why 2018 has really been a stinker for many of you guys. Because you have been trying to build your own kingdom to the exclusion of God. Verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you because Herod is going to try to search for the child and to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and fled to Egypt. Can you, can you kind of hear the soundtrack changing? And when Herod, verse 16, realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was what? Furious. And let me tell you, when Herod gets furious, people suffered. When Herod got furious, people lost their heads. He had spent his entire life controlling outcomes. Men, do you do that? You spend your entire life manipulating and controlling the outcomes. Even when he bet on the wrong leader of Rome, he was able to manipulate Octavius 
And he was willing to be able to make it right because he was the master of controlling outcomes. He was the master of his fate. He was the captain of his soul. And he would not bow his head or his knee to anyone. He would not be outsmarted by destiny. But here's what's so crazy about it. Yet, he had been outsmarted by a baby and a couple of Jewish parents. He had been outsmarted by a toddler who was just learning to walk and Joseph and Mary. So he's thinking, okay, this is it. I'm going to come back. I'm not going to be thwarted. So he gave an order that was so horrific. He, and this is what he says. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And the king gave the orders to kill all the boys. All the boys. If you're not willing to find me the one, I'm just going to go for the nuclear option. I'm going to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so they did. And on this horrible morning or horrible evening, as the Roman soldiers come in, put up that picture of Herodium again. Herod is probably in his fortress looking down at Bethlehem and hearing the screams. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived with that knowledge her entire life, all because Herod the Great controlled his outcomes, manipulated his destiny, and in the end, he, it did not go well for him. In fact, let's talk about his end. Uh, Herod died terribly, a terribly painful death because of his kidney disease. In fact, it was so painful, he tried to commit suicide. Um, he tried to commit suicide multiple times. It was very difficult to commit suicide back then. Um, in fact, he was in the process of committing suicide, and one of his cousins came in and rescued him. He couldn't even commit suicide. But just before he died, listen to this. Herod the Great rounded up all of the rich and the most important people in Jerusalem, and he put them in jail. And here's what the command he gave. He says, as soon as I die, I want you to execute them so that at least somebody will be crying when I die. That's how evil this man was. He knew when he died, people would be having parties, and this would ensure people would be crying. Praise God, as soon as he died, they actually let the influential people go. But listen to what it says in verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to, uh, appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And in this little twist of history, Herod, who was known as Herod the Great, Herod the King of Judea, Herod uh, who was an ingenious politician, Herod the Great who built Masada, Herod the Great who built Herodium, Herod the Great who rebuilt the temple, who built the aqueducts, all of this, Herod the Great became a footnote in history to a little, little toddler boy that every year we all get together and talk about named Jesus. And how cool would it have been right before Herod died? We could sit down with him and say, let me tell you about yourself. I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is people are going to remember you for the next 2,000 years. But they're not going to remember you because of your talent. They're not going to remember you because of your uh, ingenuity or your architectural skills or your engineering skills or any of that. You call yourself Herod the Great. You're, you want to be known as Herod the Builder. You will be known as Herod the Butcher. And you will just be a footnote, a small little end note 
that somebody would have to read an eight-point font when people look at Jesus, the king of the Jews, the king of the world. I love that. That you were five miles away from the Son of God and yet you missed him. And that's the reason why I can be a lot like Herod. And I think you can as well. Now, if you fast forward 30 years later, Jesus is alive. He's spending his three years of ministry. He's doing miracles. He eventually gets crucified. He's buried. Three days later, he's rose again. He hangs out for 40 days, hanging out with people, eat with people. And then he ascends to the Father. And then 80 years later, one of his disciples, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already written their biographies. And John, as an old man exiled on the island of Patmos, decides to take pen to paper and he says, okay, I'm going to fill in the gaps. And he decides to write John chapter 1, verse 4, and he says this, talking about Jesus. In him, in who? Jesus, the baby in Bethlehem, who grew up to be a man. In him, who was his friend, in him was life. And that life was the light of all who? Not just the Jews. You see, after a lot up to this point, John and some of these other folks, it was just for the Jews. He was the Jewish Messiah. But no, John pinned it himself in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that Jesus came for everyone. And if you're not a church person, if the Bible is not your book, if Jesus isn't your God, we want to let you know that God is already taking steps towards you. That's what the Christmas story is all about. And he is for you. This church is for you, and my challenge, my agenda, is to get you to re-engage with your faith, to take a step towards the Savior who died for you. And then he pauses that he, in him was the light, and he changes it to present tense. And he says this, this light shines in the darkness. I mean, up to this point, John's life, all of his friends are dead. The temple that Herod rebuilt, destroyed. Judaism, out of business. And he's there at the end of his life, and it looks like all hope is lost. And in this midst, he writes this, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what I know about you because you're here today. That ember that's kind of burns in you hot sometimes and not, and you kind of used to be close to God, but you're not anymore. It hasn't. The, the darkness has not overcome it. You see, that's the reason why you're here because there's still something in your heart and your life that cries out for you not to be the main character of your story, for you to bend your knee to Jesus Christ. So here's my question. What will your story be in relation to the light of the world. What will your story be? Will it be like Herod and will it be of resistance? And you will live the rest of your life and at 70 years old, old and crotchety, you've kind of done your thing and your time. You've manipulated the outcomes. You've controlled everything. But in the end, you've all let it slip through your fingers and you become a footnote in his story. Or will you, like the wise man, will you not resist, but will you worship? Will you bend your knee? Will you acknowledge, yes, you are the light of the world? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge us. I'm going to have 
Riley come out, and I'm just going to, we're going to sing a song, and this song is kind of an old song, so you'll have to forgive me, but the words of this song was, it was way too good for us not to do. And it, and it basically says this, light of the world, you stepped out into darkness. And that's exactly what Christmas is all about. It's the reason why we have lights at Christmas, that he is the light of the world. And so for some of you, 2018 has been a very dark time. And maybe, I don't believe it's by chance or coincidence that God has you here in this moment, in this room, watching right now online that for him to just be able to whisper in your ear, I love you and I'm calling you. And that thing that you thought was over and dead in your life, is it? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for us today. For those who are here this morning, and God, it's a, a dark time for them. God, I pray that your light would pierce the darkness. And Lord, that for some people today, for the very first time, this would be the time where they would relinquish control. That they would maybe literally or even figuratively bend their knee and say, God, I surrender to you. I submit to you. God, this is, my life is your life. My stuff is your stuff. My job is your job. My family is your family. And whatever you want, whatever that looks like, and I pray if you would take it now. Let me worship. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.